Our kids that are going to class can go to class at this time. Now, I uh, need to say one thing, one, and that is, uh, uh, if you've noticed, we changed the name of the series that we're beginning this week. Um, originally, up until Thursday, <laughs> uh, it was called Stranger Things. And then we began to discover that uh, a lot of the restrictions that Facebook has and other places have because of the name, uh, they wouldn't let us advertise. And so rather than fighting that, we decided we'll just change the name. So it went from stranger things to this means war, the reality of spiritual warfare. Um, messages, I think, really haven't changed, but... Um, uh, that call will be made tomorrow, but uh, basically, it's going to be basically the same series, just with a, a name has been changed to protect the innocent, as they say, or something like that. Anyway, so I'm excited about um, what we're going through. Let me encourage you on something. Uh, you may have seen my post uh, yesterday about coming together to pray. Um, each week uh, around, uh, and I'll put a time in each week, but if you can come to the church and pray with me uh, on a Saturday, that would be awesome. I'll have the time in each week. It'll roughly be around 6 o'clock. That's usually when I'm back up here in the evening. But if you can't, you can pray at home. And the main thing is just let me know that you're praying because anytime you deal with spiritual warfare, the enemy does not like it. And so uh, we just need to cover this series in prayer cover what we do in prayer so that uh, God is the one who gets the glory and is glorified through all this. And so I just want to encourage you on that, encourage you um, to pray. There's a story, one of my favorites. Some of you, if you've been here for since I've, I've been here, which is the last couple years, you may remember this story. But the story is told of a wonderful elderly um, Christian lady who um, had very little money. She lived in a very rundown home, but she was always praising God for his provision. This one particular day, the only trouble she had was her neighbor next door. He was a grumpy old guy who always wanted to try to tell her that there was no God. So this one day, she was praying, and she was praying fairly loudly, and he happened to be walking down the sidewalk, and he could hear her praying through the open window. So we kind of eased up to the window, and this is what she was praying. Lord, you have always provided everything I've needed when I needed it. Now, Lord, I have no food and I have no money. My check doesn't come until Wednesday. So, Lord, would you pr please provide me with some groceries? When the old guy heard that, he goes, I've got her now. He ran to the grocery store. He bought milk and bread and lunch meat and some cereal and a few other items. He put them all in the grocery bags. He brought them back to her house, snuck up on the porch, set them down in front of the door, rang the doorbell, and then hid behind the bushes. Sure enough, she opened the door, and when she saw those bags of groceries, she just threw her hands in the air, and she says, Lord, I can't thank you enough for providing for me the groceries that I just prayed for. With that, he came out from behind the bushes and said, I've got you now. You see, it wasn't the Lord that provided you those groceries. 
It was me. I went to the store and I bought those groceries. It wasn't the Lord. She thought for a moment and then she threw her hands back up in the air and she said, Lord, it's better than I thought. Not only did Jesus provide me with those groceries, but he got the devil to pay for them and to deliver them. That's always one of my favorites. Beginning today, we're starting a new series called This Means War, The Reality of Spiritual Warfare. And I know for a lot of believers especially, this topic of spiritual warfare is really uncharted territory, but it's territory that needs to be discovered, and it needs to be understood. If we're really going to be successful and grow in our relationship with Jesus. So as I begin, I want you to know that through this series, I want to help us to understand that there's a war going on, on inside of each and every one of us. It's a spiritual battle that's being played out every single day of our lives. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is look around. All you have to do is turn on the news. All you have to do is look at your computer and you will be able to see the results of this war. There's war among nations. There's shattered lives, broken homes, suicide, rape, abuse, immorality, hunger, hatred, greed, and neglect. And the list can go on and on of the results of these battles that we face. You see, this battle affects every area of our life. And there's no way we can avoid it. There's no bunker or foxhole that is big enough or deep enough to shield us from the effects of this war between the forces of God and the forces of our enemy, Satan. But also, as we go through this series, I pray that you will discover and begin to understand and begin to realize that this battle we're in is fought from the inside out. It is fought through the power of the Holy Spirit. And our victory has already been won on the cross of Jesus. You don't have to worry. You don't have to give in. You don't have to live a defeated life. Because we have the promise that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. With that said, I want us to pray together, and then we're going to dive in to this topic. Father, I just pray right now. I pray a hedge of protection around this place. I pray, Father, that you'll just be with us as we unlock this series and begin to discover who this enemy is. And not only who he is, but what we can do to overcome Father, we're thankful that the victory has already been won on the cross. So, Father, help us. Help us to, to learn those things we need to learn. Help us to understand those things we need to understand. Help us with the choices we make. That they are choices that you would want us to make, not the ones the enemy wants us to make. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Before coming here, Lucy and I lived for nine years up in Northern Virginia, just outside the D.C. area. And while we were up there, we were able to go a handful of times to the Kennedy Center to see plays, also Ford's Theater to see plays. It was an awesome experience. And one of the things I discovered was this. When you see a play like that, you only see the players on stage and the scenes and the settings that are played out before you on that stage. You don't necessarily see that the things that are going on backstage. 
the pulleys, the wheels, the costume changes, all the different sets that are getting ready to be displayed, the director rushing people on and off stage, the sound technicians, and all that they do. These things literally go unseen. Really more, there's more that goes on unseen than sometimes there is that, that is seen. I began to think about that, and I began to realize that there's a spiritual backstage in our lives, an invisible realm that sets the stage for everything in our physical and visible lives. But the problem is we want to convince, convince ourselves that it's not real or that it's just something that happens in movies or video games. Well-known Christian author John Eldridge, he put it this way. He said, there is something in human nature that just doesn't want to face the reality that we live in two worlds. We live in the physical, material world where we have jobs, read books, and go about our business. And we live in a spiritual world, and that is a world at war. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He said, our fight is not against people on earth, but against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this world's darkness, against the spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly world. Now, there's two problems that I see that keeps people from honestly believing what the Bible says about the spiritual war, about these spiritual battles that we face, these spiritual battles that are going on around us. And the first problem is this. For a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians just give in instead of learning how to fight. We just give in instead of learning how to fight. In his book, Fuzzy Memories, Jack Handy writes, he said, there used to be this bully that would meet me on this one corner every day, and he would take my lunch money. He said, if you don't give it to me, I'm going to beat you up. And so I'd give him my money. He said, after a while, I decided to fight back. So I decided to take karate lessons. And so I took a couple karate lessons, but I found out that the teacher wanted $5 a lesson, and that's a lot of money for a little kid. So after a while, I found that it was cheaper and easier to pay the bully than to learn how to fight him. I say that for this reason, because many Christians, I believe, have decided that it's easier to pay the bully than to learn how to fight him. And we've got to understand and we've got to learn how to fight in the spiritual battles that we face. But the second reason and the second problem I see is this. We live like we have no clue who the real enemy is. Maybe that's why Paul had to preface his statement by saying, it's not against flesh and blood. That's not who we're fighting against. Our fight is not against our neighbors or the people around us. The fight is in the heavenly realms. And so we live like we have no clue who the real enemy is. In fact, according to a Gallup poll, as high as 95% of Americans believe there is a God, but only 63% of Americans believe there's a devil. And whether you want to believe it or not, there's a devil and he's determined to take us out. In fact, he wants to distract, disrupt, and ultimately destroy your life. He wants all Christians to be weak, to be feeble, to be ineffective. He doesn't want you to rely on Jesus. He doesn't want you to go to church. He doesn't want you to read your Bible or to reach out to others with the gospel. 
You see, we're engaged in a spiritual war, and it is a serious battle. Why? Because whether you realize it or not, eternity hangs in the balance each and every day of your life. And if we're going to overcome, we have to know who we're fighting against. I mean, it is that serious. Because eternity is hanging in the balance. Sun Tzu was a general in China about 500 BC. And he wrote and collected many essays on the topic of warfare and specifically on how to deal with military matters. His collection is called The Art of War. And so the question is, why were his writings so valuable? I mean, there are countries that still use his book today because they were that valuable. This is the reason. It's because he taught his men how to know the enemy before going into battle. This is what he wrote. He said, if you know your enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. But if you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. And so for a lot of us, we have no idea who the real enemy is. Somebody said, and I believe it's true, the, devil great, the devil's greatest deception is to make people believe that he doesn't exist. And let me tell you, he's done a great job of that, right? He's done a great job of making people believe that he just doesn't exist. He's just a fairy tale. He's just a character in a movie or a play. The great American preacher Billy Sunday, who lived from 1863 to 1935, said this. He said, I know that the devil is real for two reasons. I love these. He said, number one, because the Bible says so, and number two, because I've done business with him. I've done business with him. So the question is this, how many of you have done business with him? How many of you have done business with the enemy, with the devil? Probably all of us would have to say, you're right, that's true. I have. You see, if we want to be as successful as soldiers of our king, we need to recognize who we are fighting against. We've got to know the enemy. That's why it's so important that the church speak and teach on this topic of spiritual warfare. Let me tell you, it's not, the, the, it's not the one of the most popular topics you're going to see, but it is a topic that's necessary. And so for the next few moments, that's what we're going to do. We're going to begin to look at this topic of spiritual warfare. And as we start, I want us to look just for a moment today at the origin of our enemy. The origin of our enemy. Where did he come from? How did he become evil? Now, Satan first appears in the book of Genesis in chapter 3. Most of you probably know the story if you've grown up in church at all or been in Sunday school, right? You know the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. And so Satan first appears here in chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. And just before he appears, it seems that everything is going great, right? Because in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, this is what we read. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. It was all very good. But then all of a sudden, chapter 3 opens up, and there's this serpent. There's this serpent, and he's clearly evil. He's clearly the bad guy, right? 
And he's calling God's word into question already. Did God actually say what he said? Did God actually say you shall not eat of that tree? Did he really say that you would die if you ate of that tree? You won't die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll just be like him, knowing good from evil. So he begins to discredit the words of God. And so the question is, who is this serpent? Well, the best answer is found in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Because here it says, this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. And so the serpent in the garden is Satan. That word Satan means accuser. He is constantly going before God to accuse you. He wants to accuse you before God, to discredit you before God. He's also called the devil, which means slanderer. And he's also the deceiver of the whole world. Jesus calls him the evil one, the father of lies or the ruler of this world. Paul calls him the god of this age and the prince of the power of the air. And he's the one we just met in Genesis 3. And at that moment, he is already evil. He's already evil. He's already a deceiver. He's already a liar. He's already a murderer. That's who he is. But the question is, where did he come from? And how did he become evil? Well, the scripture reveals the names of three important angels. Michael, who was a warrior. Gabriel, who was a messenger. And Lucifer, or Satan, who guarded the throne of God. The general consensus is that Satan was one of the chief angels and anointed cherub until he began to go against God. He began to question God. He wanted to be God. The inference in the scripture is that he was established by God to guard the very throne and to be the angel of worship, one whose ministry surrounded the very heart of heaven. The Bible, as well as Jewish tradition, indicates that there was a mass rebellion in heaven, and Lucifer, or Satan, enticed and deceived one-third of the angels to follow him. And so he was cast out of heaven along with his followers because of his pride and his desire to be God. I want to give you a couple scriptures, or a few scriptures, that kind of help bring this to light. The first one's found in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 28. Let me give you a little bit of background. Ezekiel 28 is, here is what we, where we read about the king of Tyre. Now this city of Tyre was one of the most beautiful and richest cities in the world. The king of Tyre was very wise. He was a very shrewd businessman who had increased greatly the riches of the city. So because of that, I mean, the people just applauded him, man. I mean, they just held him up. In fact, they held him up so much so that they began to worship him as a god. And he loved that. But the problem was he began to believe what they were saying. And so, again, he thought he was God. Now, the city would soon be destroyed and the king would be killed. But starting in verse 12, Ezekiel takes up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. And most Bible scholars believe that this section of scriptures is a dual prophecy, comparing the pride of the king of Tyre to the pride of Satan and his fall. 
And so this is what we read starting in verse 12 in Ezekiel chapter 28. Son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue-gray beryl onyx, green jasper, blue lapis, lazuz, I don't know what that word is, uh, turquoise and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. I adorned and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of the kings. We find a similar passage of scripture that's found in Isaiah chapter 14. Starting in verse 12, this is what we read. How you, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away. In the north, I will climb to the highest heavens and, I w and, and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. And then again in Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 7, then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the, the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. And ever since, ever since Satan lost that rebellion, there has been this intense spiritual warfare going on. But again, it's a war that is unseen. It's a war that's played out in the heavenly realms. And he knows that his time is short because he was defeated when Jesus rose from the dead. So in the meantime, he is trying to create as much chaos and mayhem as possible. He's trying to take out as many Jesus followers as he can before his time is up on this planet. So let me ask you. What was able to cause a beautiful perfect being of such wisdom and majesty to become a bitter, demonic being now known as Satan, who is utterly corrupt and who is intent on undermining the plan and the people of God? The short answer, yes, you're right. The short answer is one word, pride. It was pride. 
Understand, as mighty and as beautiful as it seems Satan was when he was created by God, he still had a free will to make choices, and he chose to allow pride to consume his life. And I want to tell you, as I was thinking about this earlier in the week, and I was preparing for this, maybe it's something I already knew, but it's something I never really ever stopped to think about. Because we know when Jesus returns, and we know when one day we are all in heaven once again, that the Bible is clear that there is no sin in heaven at that point, because Jesus' death took care of that, right? But we only think about it from our perspective, that he took care of it from our earthly perspective, but he took care of it for all created beings. Maybe you've never thought about the fact that even the angels had free will. They had free will. And that's what allowed Satan to have pride enter his heart and allow pride to take over his heart where that he wanted to become God. And that pride led to his fall. And it led to the fall of one-third of God's angels. You see, he wanted... Again, to become God, he desired praise, and he longed to be worshipped. Again, verse 17 of Ezekiel 28, your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. In Satan's case, there was no do-overs. No do-overs. In Satan's case, there was no, let's rethink this decision that I just made. Wasn't like that. In Satan's case, he made a choice. And now he has to deal with the consequences of his choice. Because the consequence of his choice was he lost the battle. He lost it. He's utterly defeated. But he's doing all he can until that final judgment. Let's make it personal for a moment. I don't know about you, but it's scary to think about some of the choices that I've made in my life. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But it's scary at times just to think about some of the choices we make, that I've made. Choices that I can never take back. Choices that I can never rethink. Here's the thing. There's not a person in here that knows the hour or the day that you'll take your last breath on this planet. This past week on Tuesday, we, some of us, here shared in the funeral of Brandon Lee Runyon, 31 years old, who took his last breath a little over a week ago. When he got up that morning, he didn't know it was his last day. But it was. There's not a person in here that knows when your last day of, of breathing on this planet will be. That moment when you will be standing before your God to give an account for all of the choices and the sins in your life. Just like Satan, we too are left with choices. We are left with pathways that will lead to either good or evil. That's why we have to rely on the power of God's Holy Spirit to help us to stand strong. To help us to choose those things that we bring, that will bring us closer to Jesus Christ. There are choices that we make. There are choices that we have to make. 
And we've got to begin to rely on that power of the Holy Spirit. You see, when you surrender your life, when you give your life to Jesus, the Bible is very clear that the power of God's Spirit, His very presence, will live inside of you and, and He'll be in your heart. And He's that power source that helps you to overcome. That's why Paul was able to say there's not a temptation that you'll ever face, that you will not have a way of escape if you want it. We have to live with the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us and rely on that spirit to help us to live those godly lives. Last Sunday morning, this guy sat right here, came right down here, and he gave his life to Jesus. And he surrendered his life. That was a choice he had to make, and he made it. And later that day, this is what we got to witness. Now, I'll be honest with you. There are still those who are here today that's never made that choice. Now, you can go through your life thinking that you have plenty of time. That's your choice. But you don't. We're not promised tomorrow. And so we need to make those choices that are going to make sure that when we stand before our God... And he looks at us and he sees the blood of his son that covers our life. He will say, enter into my family. Never forget, this spiritual war that we are in, these daily battles that we face will ultimately serve to show us who we are in Jesus. You probably never thought about that way either, have you? Because I didn't really. In fact, we sometimes like to, to really get upset or whatever when we face those spiritual battles, when we're being attacked. We, it kind of really bothers us. And, and, and it, right, yeah, rightly so. It probably should bother us. But the thing we forget is this. Those battles are going to tell us who we are in Jesus by how we stand and how we overcome those battles. It's going to show us who we trust in, who our faith is in. Because if it's in us, we will fall flat on our face. But if our faith is in Jesus, we will be able to stand strong through the power of God's spirit and we will be able to overcome. And so they ultimately show us who we really are in God. You see, because we will either live a defeated life of bad choices or we'll live a victorious life because of the choice we make to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when we make that choice, we have the authority over all evil through the blood of his son. And we are more than capable of making the right choices in life because he who is greater, he who is in us is greater than he who has been banished, defeated, and unleashed to spread evil in this world. So declare your victory today. Just declare it. If you're a follower, if you've given your life and heart to Jesus Christ, then you declare your victory today because God won then, God wins now, and God wins for all eternity. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for all you've done and all you're doing. God, this is a tough topic. It's a tough topic to preach, let alone to hear. So I just pray that you'll be with us through this series so that we can begin to understand the importance of knowing the enemy so that we can stand and fight in your power, not ours, but in your power. This is a spiritual battle. It takes spiritual power to overcome. So be with us, Father. Now, God, I pray that your spirit has been working on hearts in here. And I pray that if there are any of those who need to make decisions today, that this will be the day. They won't walk out of these doors without knowing they've gotten their self right with you. We love you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If the worship team will make their way up, we just want to move into a time of the Lord's Supper. Again, it's a part of who we are as a church, and so I just want to encourage you, if, if God's been working on your heart, this is also a time for you to get yourself right. If God's been speaking to you, my prayer is that as you come to partake of the Lord's Supper, I'll be sitting over here. I'd love for you to just to come, and I'd love to talk with you and encourage you and to pray with you, because we all need to get ourselves right with God. We have three stations down front. In just a moment, I'll ask you to stand. If you can come this to the middle and then get, take the emblems, then go back on the sides and be seated and just spend time with your God. And then after a time when everybody's been served and we're going to worship together one more time. But again, this is a part of who we are. And so we love to come together as the body to just partake of what he has done for us on the cross. But if you have any decisions you need to make, I'll be sitting right over here. I'd love to talk to you. Stand with me if you would and let's pray together. God, I just thank you for all you do, all you've done. You're an amazing God. And I can't thank you enough for how you blessed. I'm thankful today that I can stand here in the power of the Holy Spirit because I, at 15 years old, I surrendered my life to Jesus, and I was baptized into him, and your spirit came to live within me, and I thank you for that. So, Father, I pray right now that you will just be with us, touch our lives, touch our hearts, help us to never forget what you have done for us on the cross, but also the life we have because of your resurrection. It's in your name we pray. Amen.